Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. What's going on, you good humans? Welcome to episode number 111 of Good Humans Podcast with a very special man by the name of Nigel Beach. I absolutely love this conversation and you're going to love it too. If it's your first time here today, warm welcome. I love when we have new listeners. Today's episode is going to blow your mind. If it's one that you enjoy, do me a favor, go and hit five stars, leave us a little review. Almost importantly, just hit subscribe or like so you can come back and check out another episode as they keep on coming through. We bring you two episodes a week, the 1% on a Wednesday, guest episode every Friday. So many incredible conversations and I know you're going to love them all. So hit that like or subscribe. It would mean the world to me. Big thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Drink a Repper, The Brain Drink. These guys have been supporting this podcast, My Brain, Your Brains, and also Nigel's Brain for quite some time now. And yeah, I know you're going to love the product. It's all backed by neuroscience. Millions of dollars of clinical studies have gone into this product to prove that it actually has benefits. So it's good for short-term brain performance, better than any energy drink you're ever going to have, if you ask me. And it's also good for our long-term brain health, which... It should be important to all of us. So if you want to check out their product and all of the science, head over to their website, drinkarepper.com. You can find all the information over there. You can also grab some of their products. If you use the code GOODHUMAN on their online store, you get a massive 25% off. So go check it out. Also, if you enjoy the product, make sure you tag at drinkarepper at goodhumanspod or at Cooper Chapman on your story. would love to know all about it if you're enjoying it. Also, a special one for this week's episode, if you tag and um, reshare this episode on your Instagram story, take a screenshot if you're listening on Apple Podcast. Um, also on Spotify, there's a share option to your Instagram story. Tag at DrinkRepper, at Cooper Chapman, or Good Humans Pod, and at Nigel Beach. And I'm going to be picking two of you to be sending a free case of a rapper out to to try it out. Um yeah, you have to just reshare something on your Instagram story about this episode. Tag at Drink Rapper at Nigel Beach at Good Humans Pod, and I'll be picking two people this week to be sending. <clears throat> pardon me, a case of a rapper out to. Okay, Nigel, this guy is an absolute legend. I was lucky enough to meet Nigel at the Humankind event a few months ago over in Sydney that I spoke at. And he was um, speaking alongside Wim Hof, who is somebody I truly admire the work of. His breath work is something that's changed my life and a lot of the listeners of this podcast. Um, At the dinner a few nights before the event, I got to sit down and spend a bit of time getting to know Nigel. And we just got along super well. We connected incredibly. And yeah, since then, we've just been connecting a lot via social media, bouncing ideas across each other. And I went over to New Zealand to host a mindful morning alongside Nigel. He was doing the breath work. I was doing the gratitude and mindfulness. And it was just an amazing event. But while I was over there, I was lucky enough to sit down with Nigel, pick his brain and learn all about his story, but also the incredible work he does in human performance, physiotherapy, working with some of the best athletes in the world to just make them perform at their absolute peak. 
he has some really special advice when it comes to our health and well-being, different things like grounding, um, the food we eat, the temperature we live in, and just some, I guess, obscure, not obscure, but some really interesting ways that we can just benefit our health. I love this episode. I love everything about what Nigel talks about. Make sure if you enjoy it, you share it on your Instagram story. You can win that case of a rapper too. So many people need to hear this episode. I get a lot out of it. I'm sure you guys will too. So let's jump straight into the episode. Welcome to Good Humans Podcast, Nigel B. How you going, man? I'm going great, man. It's great to see you again, man. I know. It's um, it's really special to get to have a chat with you. We met, well, it would have been about four months ago, Humankind event um, in Sydney, the big, um, I guess, wellness summit that good friend of mine, previous guest on the podcast, John Winning, threw. Uh, you were there speaking as well. And we got to have a dinner a few nights before, and you're great friends with Wim Hof. I was lucky enough to come to a dinner with my great friend Alex Hayes and we just got along like a house on fire, I guess is the best way to describe it. And yeah, we said, let's do the potty eventually. And here we are, I'm in New Zealand. You're working with the rapper a little bit now from my intro. So it's like cool to catch up. Yeah, there's been so many uh, mutual connections and alignments, like uh, just different people I talk to who know you or have heard about you. And then, yeah, honestly, there's, there's so many different connections. So this is a friendship I'm really valuing, man. It's really great. And um, I really admire what you're doing. And it just seems everyone around you is just, a, just such epic humans. I think we should rename that from good humans to epic humans because everyone's just amazing, man, what they've achieved and what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky with the network I've got and the people around me. It's something that, um, yeah, I don't take lightly. I, I really am super grateful for that but that's a question i'm going to open for you so i open all my podcasts with the same question for everyone and that's what are you grateful for right now in your life grateful well i'm really up here working cooper and um sometimes that's a bit of a poison chalice because it means i'm away from my family but today my family are driving up to be with me tonight and tomorrow night so that's what i'm grateful for the ability to um do this work but also be surrounded with my family. So that's my big one tonight. Amazing. I'm going to throw one of my gratefuls in, but because it's going to say, I'm grateful for you, but I'm going to tell you why, <clears throat> and you'll know in a second. My younger sister came to the Humankind event. She is amazing, Sophia, and she'd gone through a few mental health challenges over the last year, and she really loved your talk and whim and did breath work for the first time and started to understand herself a bit more and kind of got that spark from both you and Wim. And when I, I told you that, I think on social media, I said, oh, mate, my sister's been doing breath work and that. She struggled a bit. And you're like, mate, tell her to send me a message. I'll, I'll jump on a call with her. And I know you're a very in-demand man. So for you taking the time out to have a chat to my sister, she said she learned so much. Um, mate, I just from the bottom of my heart, thank you. It's it's really cool. Thanks, brother. Yeah, that was really cool to connect with her. And I, yeah, appreciate that too, mate. And no, it was good. I think we got through some good things on that call and hey, there's more to come there. Absolutely love it. And we're going to get you to speak to my other sister, Chloe, about some infertility stuff. But let's chat about you. Today's podcast is going to be about your journey, but maybe to let the listeners know, I guess, what do you do? Because I know what you do, but maybe let the people know what you do because we're going to catch up to that and get some really, really interesting um, insights into what you do and some tricks and tips that we can take better care of ourselves. Cool, man. Well, I think in a nutshell, I help people who are struggling. And that's people who are struggling uh, with, say, chronic pain or pain that they've had for a long time through maybe neck pain, knee pain, back pain, or um, people that are struggling with, say, autoimmune conditions um, or not really understanding uh, things like uh, diagnoses that have been given, like Crohn's disease or irritable bowel syndrome or... Um, 
all these different conditions that we get labelled with, um, but also I help people who are struggling to be better as well. People who are seeking out to be even better than what they are. These can be elite performers. So I work a lot in the space of elite sport, um, really around the world and different facets, and helping them achieve what they are seeking to achieve. So the, I guess, Coop, and there's three ways that I work with people, really. One is I help to... Um, help for them to control their situational response to their environment. So then they're in control of their response rather than uh, letting their body dictate their reaction to their environment. They're two different things. The second way I work with people is helping them train their physiological response to exercise. And that doesn't mean you have to be an athlete. It could just be, you know, general people going about their daily life. How do we train that response to work, essentially? So... That's a really powerful thing we can do for ourselves. And then the third way is more around the movement and mobility and physical. So what I do is I look and see how people move, assess their movement patterns, and then try and come up with a program that's going to really help them become more flexible, more mobile and stronger and be able to do what they want to do. Amazing. So, so you're, you do it all, but by trade you're a physiotherapist, yeah, but yeah. you look at it in a very different way. You have a far different understanding, I'd say, than the generic way that a lot of people look at stuff. And, yeah, I'm excited to get to know more about it today. Yeah, so yeah, I am a physiotherapist and, um, you know, relatively highly qualified in that space. I've been a physio for 25 years clinically, um, which is great because it's really a good currency, a good currency to get me in the door. It gives me uh, credence and qualification. And it really allows me to see a population of clients in a clinical setting that I I just don't think that many people get that luxury to actually see someone one-on-one in a clinical setting and assess them, program them. It's, It's a real treat. Yeah, it's um, it's amazing the work you're doing. I'm excited to catch back up to your story. What are we going to do really quickly? A rep sponsors our this podcast. Amazing supporters of myself, and now they're working with you a bit. We just did a breathwork session for their staff downstairs from where we're recording today. Everybody loved it. So what we're going to do? Little cheers to a rapper to kick off. Wet the lips. Get Salut. the get cheers. the brain fired up, and we're going to get into it. So the. I guess the way that I run Good Humans Podcast is we're going to go sort of through your life chronological. You can talk about as much, as little as you want, but I want to rewind back to the start. I want to understand a bit about your upbringing so I can get to know why you're doing the work you're doing. So let's go back to the start. Where were you born? What was life like as a kid? And let's go up into high school. What sort of childhood was like family, siblings, whatever you're willing to share that kind of shaped you to to be who you are today yeah man so i was born in thames which is uh, sort of at the base of the coromandel peninsula there and um, new zealand yeah yeah in new yep. zealand yeah so it's <clears throat> i was born there but pretty quickly with my dad's work we we went to cambridge and then uh, hamilton where i spent most of my years and certainly have the most memories from there um and yeah i've got one brother chris and and then my mum and dad, who really, they're a massive inspiration for me. My mum and dad and, and my brother, they always take pride in my work. They're always really eager to um, learn what I'm doing, and they're really there to be supportive. Um, so they've really, especially my dad, he's a great orator. He'll talk to anyone. Um, it's it's fascinating, his ability just to speak to anyone in every, any kind of situation and make them feel important. He really wants to listen to them so um, he's been a great inspiration in me sort of watching how he um, helps people feel great 
and so yeah he's been a massive inspiration um grew up yes played a lot of hockey as a youngster and then um i guess had a very uh you know i just i lived a really charmed life man and still do but i had a really charmed upbringing really super supportive went to a great school in hamilton where i had a great friend group so i was really lucky in all those domains and then from there i went up to university in auckland and again, friends that are lifelong friends developed from that. And then I had the opportunity to go traveling, mate. And that really shaped me in so many ways. And I was I lived in London for nine years, uh, wow. practicing physiotherapy, but also traveling a lot. So I went to 45 countries in those nine years. Wow. I was really lucky. It wasn't like, I didn't do bus about or Contiki or, you know, where you see uh, 20 countries in 20 days. I, I had significant amounts of time with um, a lot of different cultures, tribal cultures, um, and different communities. And that really helped me see the world in a different way, man. Wow. I want to go back just to high school quickly because I want to, <clears throat> I think it brings into context maybe the path that you took. When you were in high school, how early did you understand or did you believe that you were going to go into physiotherapy? When was that decision made? Um, yeah, what were you looking like? What did you think your future was going to look like when you were leaving high school? Mate, I, I knew I wanted to be a physio from intermediate school. Wow. Yeah, from the age of um, 11. Why, I knew what I, was that passion from? Yeah, I think I was always um, the one in the family that would make first aid kits. You know, I was always that guy wanting to take care of someone if they had a scrape or a bruise or a bump. Um, I always had that. And, you know... I even yeah remember from my grandparents we we used to if someone got a cut they'd put on this it was called tink we called it I'm sure it was very harmful to our body now but um, they used to put this red uh, liquid on our cuts and and uh, scrapes and I was always infatuated with that the healing process and also the preparedness how do we, how are we prepared for different scenarios. Um, so I remember at the age of 11, I did a assignment, uh, what is physiotherapy? Wow. And then all through, I remember I did those assignments again in the high school years. Um, and then in high school, I went and had experiences with physiotherapists. I remember a good friend of mine, his grandparents had a car accident. When they were re- rehabilitating in hospital, I went and spent time with that physio. And I did a case study on that when I was at high school. But then also there was... Um, yeah, other other instances of spending time with physios. It was really the only thing I wanted to do, um, and it was the only thing I applied for at university, which it's great how it paid off because they only took 55 people wow. in, in that course, and it, there was a stratification of, uh, you know, you had to be relatively academic, and I certainly um, wasn't super strong on that front, um, but I made it in, and... Yeah, but I really, that was what I wanted to do for a long time. Wow, that's, that's so cool that you've known what you wanted to do for a long time and got to pursue that passion. Let's um talk about, let's kind of skim past uni and talk about what, once you qualified, what that next chapter was when you said you went overseas, London, nine years, what drew you to going overseas and what <clears throat> was that first sort of initial experience and what drew you to wanting to travel to so many countries and get to experience so much? Yeah, I think my parents, they took us to America when I was 16. That was the first time I sort of traveled. And um, I really enjoyed it. And I think that really set off the spark. So I went to university, came out with my degree and knew I knew nothing. So I went back to university, got a postgrad diploma and did some more study. And 
then worked for a little bit. But there's a thing in New Zealand, and the Australians are the same, the, the big OE, overseas excursion or overseas experience. Um, and that was on the radar. And so my best mate, uh, he was in physio school with me, and we started traveling together. And what drew us over there, it was kind of like, it was what Kiwis could do because seeing we've got that Commonwealth relationship with England, you could get registered over there as a physiotherapist relatively easily. You could get a, um, you know, a immigration uh, entry into the UK quite easily. So that was really going to be the base. And then just started traveling and first step was Thailand and then Vietnam. And I wanted to go to these far-flung areas that I'd heard of or read about but didn't really know too much about the culture. From Vietnam, went to Turkey, had a month around there, and then we went to England, settled a little bit there, and then we're like, wow, Iceland, yeah, well, let's go and see what that's about. And uh, remembering back then, man, there were no um, cell phones, no yeah. email was just super new, and yeah, so, and you had to lug these lonely planet guidebooks, physical books with you to travel around. So then we went to Iceland, and it just sort of went on from there and I was really lucky because there were a lot of my friends in London at the time so you always had someone you go traveling with wow and at the time in London you're working as a physio but have the flexibility to be able to travel and go and do what you want and experience stuff I'm sure it's probably some of the best memories of your life absolutely I was really fortunate because the economy was going quite good in England um I was I was seen I had a postgrad diploma in sports physiotherapy. I was quite sought after from a, a job market sense, which meant I could work for a space of time and then travel for a space of time. So pretty much I would work for maybe six months and then go traveling. I really enjoyed t- getting a one-way ticket somewhere. I got a one-way ticket to Beijing, China, and took five months to work my way back to London, that kind of thing. Wow. Yeah, so, um, and that, the market allowed for that. Mm. The economy was booming there. Um, and so then this th- early 2000s? Yeah, so 2003 yeah. Is, is when I left. Um, and then it was sort of, I think the recession was around 2007, I think, over mm. there, which changed things a little bit. It just meant I kept a stable job. I, um, I didn't sort of move from job to job too much, okay? But still did some great travels and, yeah. Amazing. So what brought you back to New Zealand? Um, well, I met my darling wife over there. You did? Yes, I did. So she a palm? Uh, she's actually Australian, Cooper. Oh, so right. Yeah. So although she moved to New Zealand when she was 10. Wow. So, um, yeah, so she's great. And I met her over there, and she was about to move back to Australia, actually. And for some reason, she stayed, Cooper. So that was great. And... But she did have like a finite time in England. She was sort of done. And on reflection, I was thinking, well, I've had a great stint here as well. I do miss my family back home. So the time was right. Amazing. So then you're back in New Zealand for the last 15 years? Yeah, I think probably, I think 12 years, is it? Yeah, 11 or 12 now I've been back. Amazing. All right, let's get into some of this human performance stuff. Yeah, man. This is my favorite stuff to talk about ever. You have a... A wide range of, I guess, knowledge and you step a little bit outside the normal realm, like you were kind of like we were saying before, physiotherapy. I don't know where I want to start with this. Let's go where we sort of started downstairs. What? Are, <clears throat> let's go through a couple of things with like sort of stress mitigation, with 
breathing that's a big one actually let's start with the um whim story about your wife getting pregnant that you told us before but i think that's a really good one because uh, yeah let's, how'd you meet wim hof yeah so Wim, i met oh, a number of years ago now so um what drew me to him was the 2013 rabond university study that they did injecting him with e coli an endotoxin um and he defeated that within 15 minutes and not only that then they repeated the study with a group of people a randomized controlled clinical trial where they injected his trained group with e coli and then the control group with e coli and the control group all got sick and his trained group got um, far less symptoms of the these flu-like symptoms nausea um, fever than the control group which really meant that they defeated the e coli just like Wim, and they had only had 10 days training. So that I, I was already dealing with a population of clients who were struggling with long-term issues, and I knew that their nervous system was a factor in that struggle, but now we've got a technique which can actually influence that autonomic or automatic nervous system, a system that should not be within our conscious control. And that's what that study proved, that we do actually have more control over that than what we previously thought. So then, um, you know, I started doing his his method and practicing it. And then I had the opportunity to go and spend a week with him in a um, sort of like a retreat down the very bottom of um, Australia, Ailey's Inlet. And there I met, not only was Wim the only person taking this, which would never happen now, but um, it was a really fully immersive experience where he was living in with us. He'd sit around the fire at night time. You get to talk. And also the people, the caliber of people that were there and who are still good friends to this day was just amazing. To think of it like the top two percenters, you know, that those people, you know, the, you know, those people that line up for the iPhone, you know, they camp out because they want the new technology. Well, this was the same kind of population, but for health. Mm. So you've got people who had, who brought uh, quite an array of um, experience in that field or um, just awesome people, mate. So that's when I first met him. Amazing. And then let's talk about quickly um, your wife and getting pregnant because you told that story downstairs and I think it ties in really nicely to people who might be struggling with stuff like endometriosis and then we're going to move across to sort of chronic illnesses and stuff and how the work that you do now, the environment we're in, how much it affects it and the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. So, yeah, tell me about, um, yeah, conceiving your first – don't go too into detail, but how breath work and how Wim's method, um, yeah, has really brought yeah. amazing life to your life. Yeah, it has, man, because I, I think in this world we – you know downstairs you know i was doing the the talk there and sometimes i i said a couple of swear words didn't i you, you can know? swear on here yes yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> and then i sort of said hey don't mind my language you know don't worry about that let's talk about the language that we're being told from people in authority like you will never have children or you will never run again mm. or you cannot do this you cannot do this you know whatever so <clears throat> that was Certainly what we were told, you know, my wife Jess had endometriosis um, from very early age, I think 16 years old, battling with this. Uh, it's, a, it's a terrible affliction. It affects a lot more women than what we, we think. Um, and it can range from painful and disabling periods to really just an inability to move, mate. It's amazing. Um, mm. But there's so many more symptoms, but people can look it up. But 
Um, yeah, Jess had had five surgeries for this condition. Um, it's where the um, endometrial like cells... Scrape it, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah so these cells grow outside the uterus. They're meant to be inside, but they grow outside. And, of course, these cells release blood uh, monthly, meant to be monthly. Um, so you can imagine the pain and disability that would arise if these cells were not in the right place. Mm. So let alone all the sort of fibrosis or adhesion that this condition can cause to the organs and uh, the areas around the pelvic cavity. Um, so I remember on the fifth surgery that she had, they they opened her up and then closed her up again and said, I'm sorry, this is not going to work for you. And um, yeah, and then that's where we were told we, we would be unable to have a family, which for someone who's hell-bent on getting whatever they are seeking through using using perseverance, discipline, um, acumen and attitude, that was like, whoa, so control taken away, you know. Plus, we weren't really educated as to what this problem was. What can you do for it? And the education and support around that was very poor. And I think it still really is today. Um, So um, bringing this long story to some shorter length, my wife, you know, she's great. And then I, I said to her, because when Wim's method first came out, not really be, many people knew the science around it or how it works. But then I got the notion of thinking, hey, this can actually help with inflammation. Endometriosis is an inflammatory condition. Jess, I really think you should be doing this. And she was like, yeah, sure. And like all my clients that come into my clinic, man, I'll do anything, Nigel, you know, mm. until they find out what that is. Because Jess goes, what will, what do I what do I do? Well, you just do the simple breathing technique. Yep, yep, yep. And you just got to gradually expose yourself to cold, cold showers. No way, no way. You know, because if you need this technique, you fear it. So it's logical for people who are running in a high inflammatory state or if they have anxiety or depression, they will hate the cold. So that was quite um, confronting. So she said, no, I'm not going to do that. And then as I went on in my practice and understood a bit more about the mechanism, I was thinking this could massively influence the hormonal system, something that is problematic with women with endometriosis. So I went back to her, said, hey, Jess, I really think you should do it because from the hormonal perspective, and then she's great. We never scrap or anything. But from this one occasion, she roared up on her hind legs and said, I'm sick of hearing of this Wim Hof method. I don't want to do it. That's your thing. And I was like, okay, okay, all right. I won't mention it ever again. And then, you know, sure enough, I still haven't worked out how women work uh, work there, Cooper. But um, three days later, I hear this. And I'm thinking, have I left the tape on in the lounge? What's going on here? So I walk in and here's my lovely wife in the lotus position doing the Wim Hof breathing. And she was like, go away, go away. Mm. So, yeah. And then 12 weeks later, mate, we conceive our little rippers. Eh? So I think... Um, so then from there, at, at the heart of it, I'm a health scientist, mm. okay? So what was that? Was that pure consequence? Or was there something that she had done in that technique which had uh, altered her immune state, altered the endometriosis, the ability for her to conceive? One of her ovaries was completely obliterated. The other one was blocked. Had something in that Wim Hof method uh, made conception viable. So seen I'm a health scientist, I want to find out. So I wrote a study along with Dr. Marty Bevan from the Waikato University and uh, about investigating the role of the Wim Hof method in women with endometriosis. And it was great. Marty and I worked on that for probably 
two or three years, mate. There were so many close calls of people wanting to fund this study, and then for some reason it fell apart at the last minute. You know, people with crazy amounts of money, mate. So, and for some reason that study didn't go through. But a lot of money in pharmaceuticals <coughs> for endometriosis and surgeries, and mate, it is funny. <coughs> I I just wonder. You know, I don't want to think too hard around why that funding was pulled at the last minute on multiple occasions. But an update, and for your viewers, they'll be the first to know this. Um, the Wilson Foundation in Australia have now contributed a significant amount of money to make a pilot study of our study viable. Amazing. So yeah, so that is going to be happening, and we're working through that right now. So. Um, I wrote that study maybe seven or eight years ago, mate. Yeah. Wow. Maybe seven years ago. Good on you, man. So, congrats um, on the kids. You got two beautiful little ones now. I'm going to yeah. meet them tonight at dinner. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, and your beautiful wife. So I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, thank you for sharing that. Let's start going into some stuff that I'm sure a lot of my listeners will probably relate to. Things like depression, anxiety. Do you want to explain to me what depression, anxiety are and how you angle to treat them rather than maybe the general construct yeah so i think we need to understand a little bit more about mental health yeah and i think we need to understand what mental illness is and maybe separate out those two i love that yeah because I always talk about that mental health and it's not mental illness mental health is something we all have mental illness is something that affects 20% of us statistically. You've got it, brother. So if we could think about mental health maybe in the way that we think of our physical health. Exactly. You know, if we've got, if we've had a hell of a summer and we've got 10 kilos on board that we perhaps didn't have in November, um, we've, as a society, we have the notion that there's a way out of that. Hmm. There are some techniques and tools that we can do which are going to positively influence us to lose that 10 kilos which we might have put on over that time of Mm. um, eating more. Um, We should think the same about that for our mental health, knowing that if we are feeling this state of muted happiness uh, or if we're feeling uh, agitated... Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Tired and stressed, yeah. We should know that there is a process that has caused that, and that process is typically caused by our environment that we're subjected to. So when we can understand that and then if we want to go a little bit deeper how about we look at the role of inflammation and depression and we understand that 40 percent of depression is caused by inflammation so it is logical that if we are living a lifestyle which is promoting high inflammation then that might be part of the reason depression is very is there's so many things that influence depression Mm. but i think if we don't think about these things we get nowhere we have to look at some of these things. And what if we are one of the 40% whose depression is driven by inflammation? Maybe we should be taking on some anti-inflammatory modalities that are more holistic than mm. perhaps taking the drugs, which, interestingly, Cooper, the people with inflammation is the cause of their depression. The drugs do not work. But you still get the side effects. Wow. So I, I, would, I would really rather that chat opened up yeah. in Mental Health Awareness Week rather than just talking about um, uh, even funding counselling because unfortunately counselling um, as important as it is there are better modalities out there there's a great book man I don't know if you've read this but I'd, I'd suggest you do it's called uh, The Body Keeps the Score I haven't the, but I will yeah The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk an amazing author a psychiatrist and he really he got into psychiatry I think sort of when 
the military were coming back from the Vietnam War. So you've seen a lot of people with PTSD. Mm-hmm. And they were doing all sorts of different techniques, like um, drugs, you know, um, I think Prozac came out in 1982, something like that. Um, and then they moved into counselling. Um, group therapy, you know, where you all come around in a group and you talk about the struggles and your PTSD and all of that. And he was sort of working out that, wow, this stuff isn't really working that well, this group therapy or talking or counselling. So then he did a remarkable study where he took a group of his clients and he had them write out their trauma. So typically PTSD arises from some um, exposure to a trauma. And the one that sat with me was the woman who was driving her motor car and then she looked around and saw her little girl her little girl wasn't buckled in so she reached around to buckle her in and she went through a red light got t-boned and the little girl died so that was the cause of the trauma for this woman to um, go into this post-traumatic stress disorder state Um, so they all wrote out their traumas no emotion just the factual um, factual summary of events and then he put them into an MRI scanner a functional MRI scanner which looked at their brain in real time what he found that their Broca's area in their brain area 21 shut down in every one of these subjects that he looked at when they started reading their traumatic story and he was like oh my days the Broca's area is the speech area Cooper so people cannot articulate speech when they're trying to talk about their trauma. And that was the very thing, what he thought was good for them. Let's talk about this trauma, let's draw this out. But what he realized was it was actually opening up a scab that couldn't heal. And he was also drawing out or forcing people to talk when physiologically uh, they couldn't. Mm -hmm. So then he moved into looking at um, yoga, movement therapy, um, breathing, to really influence the autonomic nervous system. It's a great book. It's a bit of a hard read. but um, read it. <clears throat> the other way I would suggest to your viewers, because I know people's attention, um, for the ones that are still hanging in there through this podcast, right. people's attention... People's ears are going to be glued to their headphones. <laughs> their attention spans are going down, and that's another um, sort of consequence of our environment. We mm. uh, Our attention spans are so short now. But what you could do, let's say if you didn't want to read Bessel's book, would be Google Bessel van der Kolk podcast. I'll leave it in the show notes. You got it. And then just listen to people interviewing him. Yeah. He's remarkable. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get onto that. And I'm sure a lot of my listeners will too. Let's go to inflammation now. What is inflammation? I don't know if we kind of just talked about that. But now let's talk about some of those. And I know you've got many of them. So let's kind of go through them because I feel like this is where this is probably a podcast a little different to my normal ones. People are going to get some really valuable stuff here. It's a lot of stuff that I already do from grounding to breathwork to sauna, ice. But let's kind of go through each of them that you think are viable for people to try. Most of them are free. So yeah, let's kind of go through that from the coldness of our house that we we're talking about this morning from flexing our abs. It's another good one. So yeah, what is inflammation? Why does it affect us? And yeah, how do we lower it? Yeah, so inflammation, typically would think of that as most people have sprained a joint, like an ankle or got a bee sting, and then would think of that as inflammation. Mm-hmm. You know, when you roll your ankle and then so the ankle puffs, puffs up. up. Extra you've, blood to the area. You've got That's it. That's how I yeah. thought of inflammation. Yeah, so what is systemic inflammation is our body has a degree of inflammation it has a degree of inflammation that is there waiting for the bee sting or waiting for the ankle sprain so think of your body's got a a preset 
level of inflammation yeah. that is ready to go, ready to be deployed. It's like the first aid kit that you used to make as a kid. Yeah, you've got it, man. <laughs> yeah, so the internal first aid kit. So a bit of inflammation is good to have ready to go. Yeah, and we all do have. Yeah. And, and there's various inflammatory markers. Yeah, they have different roles. I think the simplest one is. But it is a very variable inflammatory marker, that's CRP, C-reactive protein. Sometimes you get that tested in the blood. Um, and that is quite a good general indicator of your over, overall uh, inflammatory state. Okay. So ideally that would be 1.0 or below. Okay. And then what creates inflammation? Many things, but what yeah. are a few of the common ones that most people are going to be able to relate to because then we'll talk about how we can mitigate it a bit yeah i think in general i think the environment so um if you're having poor sleep you know and it's tough because one can influence the other but if you're going out late at night if you're not sleeping well um if you're eating the maybe wrong foods um if you're having high sugar diets um if you're in a work scenario which means that you're in this state of stress then those things can contribute to inflammation Mm-hmm. Um, if you're isolated from people as well, but um, yeah, there, there's so many factors that can cause it. Um, is it from our body being in the sympathetic system more, like the fight or flight more, that creates inflammation too? That'll certainly put you into the sympathetic state, the more inflamed yeah. that you are. Yeah. Um, but it can be environmental things that we don't even see, like maybe you've got a heat pump uh, in your classroom or in your workspace that hasn't been maintained and it's pumping out mold. Now, heat pumps are notorious for high levels of mold spores in them. Like so, a heating system in your house yeah, air conditioning that reverse cycles. Totally, yeah. So these things, you know, you could live the healthiest life, yet you can still be affected and you will develop an immune response to that infarct or the mold or it could be allergens like in the environment as well. Um, dust, yeah, depending on what the textiles are in your home, you know, so. Mm. But as a whole, as a population, our inflammation is going up, yeah, because of the environments we're finding ourselves in more, not putting our feet on the ground, so many different things that do help us with inflammation uh, are disappearing from like healthy diets to good mm. sleep to cold exposure to our environment being hot to cold. But yeah, so let's talk about some of the things that we can do to lower that inflammation. Yeah, because you're right, our environment is changing. It's becoming more pro-inflammatory. Mm. Just the amount of electrical cabling that's around us is increasing. You know, Wi-Fi in the homes, these smart homes which now run on electrical um, you know, cabling, that they all affect inflammation, man. It's wild. So, wow. And that's a real thing. You can measure that. Um, so then what can we do about it? Well, I think the first thing is um, when I see someone in my clinic, I really get the opportunity to talk to them and I look for various things. I listen to them about their symptoms. There are some key things that might repeat over and over, but typically everybody is different. And what they should do um, is generally brought about by what I find in the assessment. So I look at people's mechanical ability to breathe. Can they breathe good? And that's what we spoke about downstairs. And then you spoke about um, bracing, wanting to find out a bit about that. Eh? So mm. we can actually be... I think if you've got these modalities, let's say sauna and ice, yes, you can be dosing yourself with those, but also we've got to see how are we corrupting ourselves. If we're walking around bracing our tummy, having this chronic six-pack ab tension in our abdominals, that is having severe consequences on our state. When you say bracing, if my mind goes to flexing. So if you're flexing your abs for photos or trying to like suck it in and look like you've got abs under your shirt all the time, 
bad for inflammation, bad for our breathing, bad for our posture and our back, yeah? And it is, and you think, how is that bad for inflammation? Well, our largest antioxidant in our body is our diaphragm. Our diaphragm is our respiratory muscle. If we are not getting that pumping from the diaphragm, massaging the organs, moving the blood, then yes, that won't clear the inflammation as well. Um, if we're breathing in a way, seeing we are braced, there is no way for the diaphragm to actually work properly, so we have to choose a different path. So then we become vertical breathers, breathing up into our chest more, using our neck muscles, using our chest muscles to breathe. Then that can lead us into this uh, state of shallow breathing, maybe hyperventilation. We might be breathing too much, and that can lead into you know, a cascade of physiological consequences that can lead to fatigue. It can lead to feeling low, you know, just not not feeling too happy. It can help us into these agitation or anxiety states, states of panic, overwhelm, all of this stuff. So I think that's a key one. So people out there who are bracing their tummy, yeah, they do it for photos, but I think the problem is they maintain this level of brace or sucking their tummy in, maybe to fit into the social construct of needing to have a, a strong torso. Whereas really, if you look at tribal cultures, you'll see they've got a lovely sort of soft tummy, soft abdomen, and that's what's um, desirable. And you'll mm. see it in kids too. Yeah, let's talk about with the breathing. So how does someone diaphragm breathe? It's something that we did downstairs recently. I guess just a quick one. If people are sitting there right now in the car at home, have a safe space, how can we do like three breaths? That might be an example of how we should be breathing in a way that's good for anti-inflammatory. And it's something that we should aim to be breathing full time like this but just an example gives us an idea of um yeah what we should be doing and then maybe quickly talk about like between our nose and our mouth why they're two different um, yeah. things and how important it is to breathe through our nose well i think if so first of all we have to assess someone's mechanical ability to ventilate but we're not expecting the people you know at home maybe to, to be able to give that thorough assessment but what you could do is put your hands on the side of your ribs Try and get it as round the back as you can, which will mean you'll come to the midline or the side. And then just relax and just breathe in through the nose. Try and do a full deep breath and just see what happens. What should happen, your ribcage should move upward and outwards. There should be a gentle lifting of the stomach or coming out of the stomach. Um, And then eventually that will come into the chest. What we see in these sort of dysfunctional breathing patterns, people will breathe into the chest first and there won't be too much width happening down in the bottom and maybe not some coming out of the tummy Mm. here. So then we think about, all right, well, how can we influence that? So stopping short of assessing every one of your listeners, how can we give something a tool that they can do right now? And that is to exhale out fully. What happens, a byproduct of that non-diaphragmatic breathing, or the, the chest breathing, apical breathing, is that our lungs, they get the air in the top part, and then the blood sort of falls to the bottom part. We ideally want a, a very graded um, and equal perfusion of air and blood throughout our lung, but when we shallow breathe, we only get this sort of short depth. We go in, out, in, out, in, out. So that means we have to breathe faster, more repetitions of breath in one minute, But also, we struggle to get a full breath in. The problem is, a lot of people, when they talk about breathing, they'd be encouraged to take 
full deep breaths. Well, to the person who's a shallow breather, that will be almost impossible because their ability to breathe is limited to only that first quarter of their lung if they think about it. So I would encourage the listeners to do this little short practice of three large exhalations. So we breathe all the way in through the nose and then we exhale as long as possible. Really lengthen it out as long as possible and then blow and huff out at the end and then breathing all the way in and then breathing out as long and slow as possible and really get the last little bit of air out in the bottom of the lungs huff and squeeze it out and then breathing all the way in so what that does it gets rid of or it helps us get a full piece of real estate from that lung rather than that shallow lung that we've been using to ventilate we now get an opportunity to get rid of all that stale air out of the lung and start from the bottom up again Mm. so that would be a very simple generalized um, technique yeah so breathing trying to make our rib cage go up and out but really trying to make sure we completely exhale to empty the lung so we can really get the fresh air back through can you quickly go on about nose and mouth what they're meant for yeah so and this is key from you know children upwards the nose is for smelling and for breathing and the mouth is for talking and for eating And if we keep it that simple, that means that most of us should shut our mouth. Because if you use your mouth for breathing, you're really missing out on the the at least 26 different functions that the nose will provide us, which is the nose warms the air. It humidifies the air. It's got mucus in there to trap environmental particles which might not serve us or might lead into disease or um, infection. It's got cilia, little hairs that filter the air as it comes in. There are turbinids inside the nasal cavity which help to spiral the air at the appropriate pace into the lungs. So there's so many different benefits from nasal breathing. Um, Nitric oxide is another one. Nitric oxide is a compound which is a vasodilator, opens out the airways, and it is also a sterilizing agent. So we've got that in our nose. I think it's about 200 parts per billion in our nose, whereas in in the mouth it's only about 10, so it's much less... So we should be breathing through the nose at all times. And when I say that, um, that goes for my athletic population as well. You know, if you're running out onto a rugby field, breathing through your mouth, there's no reason for that. You can breathe through your mouth when you've reached the maximum limits of your exertion and your capacity. But that should be only a small percentage. What I see is this epidemic of people breathing through their mouth as the first port of call. Mm. and we shouldn't be doing that yeah well it's um it's something that i've learned recently the idea of nose breathing and i was telling you before i read james nestor's book breath and learned a lot about that and i think it's just something that we just don't get educated on it's crazy that we're not getting taught this stuff and um yeah hopefully now everyone listening breathe through your nose and don't be judgmental of yourself catch yourself each moment of the day try and set an alarm on your phone every hour look at it and go oh Am I breathing through my nose and my mouth right now? Am I breathing down to my belly, expanding my ribs? Or am I breathing to my chest? It's the easiest way to be kind to yourself, give yourself a gift without paying anything, without having to do anything other than consciously breathe a little bit differently. So that's a good one. All right, some more environmental things that I think are good to chat to you about. Let's talk about in the home, lights and heat, the environment we're in. How can they affect the inflammation and how can they yeah, just affect our well-being? Yeah, in effect, um, if we think about it like this, maybe instead of inflammation, we think about our threshold. Mm. You know, how much can we tolerate before we go into that sympathetic stress state? So 
We've got the autonomic nervous system made up of the sympathetic nervous system, which is our flight, fight and freeze, and then our parasympathetic, which is our rest and digest. And it's the fact that people's environments have been sort of structured in a way now that we are sort of going into that sympathetic stress state when there's not risk of loss of life or loss of limb. It's happening now when someone doesn't indicate it around about mm. or when these emails pile in on us or when someone comments on a post that might not be to our liking, you know, or, um, yeah, just the amount of work we've got to do now. So a lot of us are living in this state. Yeah. So it's probably mono- a lot of us are probably living in it almost full time. Financial stresses is another one, man, and we're seeing people go into great uh, depths of debt and then interest rates rising. So it's really at a time where stress is probably, you know, we are technically in a recession here in New Zealand now, which means that, you know, stress, people people are going to get folded like a deck chair soon, man. And that stress is real. So the threshold for that to come on and then in our physiology is probably lower than what it was when things are going great, okay? Mm. So I think of things, if you think about things that can influence that threshold or our resilience to things, which will stop us from going into stress state, yeah, light, as you say, is one of them. So blue light, um, blue light is great, wonderful, first thing in the morning, but when the sun goes down, if you're still exposing yourself to blue light, that can become problematic because your body doesn't know what's the sun and what's what's a Philips light bulb. So if you're exposing yourself to blue light after dark, your body will be undertaking some processes which think it's daytime. So it will be producing chemicals that are only made to keep us alert, keep us awake. Now, if you do that at nighttime, well, your sleep will be corrupted. So that's why you can do some simple things. Um, now, you know, um, I always, I, I, try and, I try and put, you know, I set a high bar for my human potential, man. Mm. I'm not an athlete, but I just want to feel bloody great. I'm 46. I've got a wonderful wife and these wonderful two kids, and I really want to be there and be the best I can for them. Mm. So that means I invest a lot into creating an environment at my home that is going to maximally benefit my health. Because if I'm healthy, I get to deliver to my kids, to my wife. So I've gone through and taken out all of our lights in our home. And we've replaced them with lights that uh, do not emit blue light after twilight. They are like this amber color. It's mm-hmm. so soothing. Okay, mm-hmm. so... What about like blue light blocker glasses? Are they okay? Are they help a bit? Yeah, I just think there's a bit of admin there. So I'd rather set the environment yeah. rather than having to, oh, I've got to put these glasses on and do this and do but that. But for someone who might not have the accessibility to change the lights in their place they're renting, mm. is that a good step once it kind of goes past sunset at home to try and chuck a pair on if you are at least dim lights? Yeah, potentially. But I think the best thing is... You can get blue light bulbs and non-blue light bulbs. Okay. So anyone can go down to Bunnings, get an $11 lamp, and then put in one of these light bulbs. And they're not that... Chuck uh, one in yeah. your bedroom. Yeah. No lights on the bedroom, bedside table, done. You've got it, man. Mm, I think try and do those things. You know, okay. and then, um, you know, that you can put a light bulb. Like, the light bulbs aren't too expensive. If mm. they do have the typical bayonet or screw fitting, just get a new light bulb. Okay. And you can even get ones that have three phases. Blue light, low blue light, no blue light. Okay. So I'd really encourage people to try and change their environment, try and get a lamp in the lounge rather than using the big blue lights maybe at night time. Mm. Do you really need... Like TV though. Yeah, that's it. Well, some of the TVs now have got... That's where you use your blue light glasses. Okay. But some of the TVs now, if you do want to watch the Netflixes, 
um, they've got like a eye comfort mode or something yeah, like that. Yeah, there's night mode on Mac, like on Apples and stuff. You can change it over on your phone as well. Yeah. You can change it over to night mode. Yep. That's, so that's getting rid of the blue light. That's it. And okay. there's some really good apps. There's like a simple setting on your phone. Yes. Switch blue light. Switch the night mode on once it gets after dark. Like once it gets after sunset. Yeah. And there's there's an app called Twilight, I think, for Android at least. Um, yeah, there's different apps you can look. You can get them for your computer too. What's the one for the computer? Iris. That's what I've got on mine. So, okay. And that just cuts out the blue light if you do need to go on the screens. Okay, love that. Another one is um, going back off environment. <clears throat> we were looking at a slide before in your presentation and what the average temperature in houses in, you know what I mean, has gone from like 12 to 15 degrees up to our air conditioning, 22 degrees. What impact is that having on us? Yeah, so I think the big thing there is to acknowledge that back in the 70s the average home temperature in the UK in winter was 12 degrees now 12 degrees is really cold okay but that was the average that's what people lived with they just put on more jumpers you know they had uh, more blankets and you know so uh, I think this notion now that we must be living within a constant temperature band of say 20 or 22 degrees in the in our western society I think that's a little bit wrong because we're now living in such a narrow band of conditioning we no longer feel the variability of the seasons Mm. we're made to feel different temperatures Mm. at different times of the year and if we don't feel that then that means when we do get outside of that environment it elicits a stress response more than what it should do Mm. so comfort is killing us it is and we're we're heavily marketed to with comfort and that's um, and also legislated In, in New Zealand now if you have a rental property you must have a heat pump in there so these heat pumps, which control the temperature to one degree, is is in every home now that's wow. been rented. Now, in our cars, you know, with the car we just drove in before, you could have set your temperature to 19.5 degrees and Chanel could have been at 19. Why do we need a 0.5 of a degree difference? It was surely we could... I never had air conditioning in my first cars, you know? Mm. But it's been given to us as a comfort, but there's a price for that comfort, mm. and that's fragility, man. Yeah. And the comfort, too, comes from, say, wearing shoes all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's go into this grounding. I think this is amazing science that we're just – you look at – I mean, I'm so far from a doctor or a scientist and even know how to read studies, but some of the minimal research I've done and videos I've watched about this makes so much sense that since we've, like, concreted every road – We've put rubber soles on every pair of shoes. There's people who live in, like I was just in Europe, and there's people who live in cities whose feet wouldn't touch the grass, the bare ground, the sand, ever. Yeah. Like ever. What impact is that having on us? And what do, what do we get from touching the earth? Because there's anti-inflammatory and there's, um, yeah, energetic fields from the earth hard that, yeah, ground us. Exactly. And when, when you try to have that conversation with some people, they immediately say, well, what's this guy on? But when we look at the science of grounding, well, what is it? Well, we take on an electrical charge, and that's dictated to by the environment that we're in. So electrical cabling being close to us, the proximity of that to us, appliances to us, will be emitting this electromagnetic field, and you can measure it. So we can take a voltmeter and measure how much voltage is going through our body at one time. And that voltage, we're made to be grounded. We're made to be barefoot outside on the earth that voltage would go through us and into the ground. So our body would be at zero. It's like the grounding with um, electricity. Exactly. grounded it. It gets out the voltage through us and grounds us into the earth. You've got it. Mm. So 
what happens is now we are wearing these, wearing these plastic and rubber-soled shoes, but our houses are no longer grounded. Mm. You know, we're made to be an earthen floor. Huts, really. We're made to be outside barefoot. Now, seeing we're not grounded, the body will send out neutrophils and lymphocytes. They're two inflammatory cells in order to deliver a proton to this charge to neutralize it. But it will never win. So it's this cascade of inflammation coming out, trying desperately to neutralize this charge. Mm. But it won't win. So then we stay in the state of inflammation. So that not only elevates our inflammation within us, that can cause poor sleep. That can cause lack of REM sleep, lack of deep sleep. Mm. That can cause so many different things that are not beneficial to us. So by taking your shoes off and being outside... And concrete is conductive, so if you're outside on concrete, you'll you'll be grounded. Okay. Asphalt isn't. So, um, and I'm not sure, is it the tight electron binding from the tar or something? I'm not sure, but okay, so asphalt isn't. okay. I yeah. thought it was always earth, but just an easy tip. Take your shoes off, go try and find some grass, bit of yes. dirt each day, stand yeah. there. That's a big one that I try and do when I travel. When I get to a new country, I try and really get my feet in the earth for mm. just a little bit to... It just feels intuitively right now that I know a bit more about it. Yeah. Mm. There's some deeper things we could go into on grounding. For us, for example, my whole family, we sleep grounded, mate. Yeah, so, tell me how you do that. I'm going to start doing it. You can buy grounding yeah. pillows and stuff now that you put a charge out to the ground and then bring it inside and wrap it around your mattress, yeah? Yeah, exactly. So the grounding technology now is um, they're building these stainless steel fibers into cotton or fabric, okay? Wow. So what you can do, you can have a sheet is very flexible and you can put it on your mattress under your top sheet so you put your fitted sheet on just like normal Mm -hmm. and what you do you don't even have to plug it into the earth outside you just plug it into an electrical socket because the bottom pin on the electrical socket is the earth earth, you've got it which is literally a wire going throughout your home into a grounding rod shoved into the earth yeah so then that conductive mat will then just piggyback that grounding. It'll just be an extension of your grounding rod and it'll be underneath you. So you can lie on it. I've got, I travel with it everywhere, man. I've brought my grounded pillowcase and I've got a grounding mat that I sleep on. And same for my kids. So my my little girl used to wet herself every night, mate. I put her on a grounding mat, bang. She stopped and hasn't done it since. Wow. Yeah, there's some great, I've watched a lot of good YouTube videos on it where people have got babies that are just always crying and really unsettled, but the only thing that'll settle them is when she's outside standing on the earth holding the baby. It's like... Yes. Yeah, there's stuff to it. But another thing that you do a lot of, sauna and ice baths. And I guess this comes back to this idea of our homes being so much, um, like our, our bandwidth being shortened, what are the benefits from sauna and what are the benefits from ice? It's kind of wild because, you know, we're living in this environment now which is delivering so much stress and our bandwidth is being shortened. But if you look at sauna and ice, that's been done for millennia. Cultures throughout the ages have been employing these techniques. And it's funny, if you go to Tibet, you, you know, what do the Buddhist monks do? They meditate. They do breathing practice. They do gradual exposure to cold. They do techniques, and they don't have the big mortgages. They don't have the all the stresses that we typically have in our Western society. So I think we need them even more than what we think. Mm. So these practices which have served humankind for so long now are starting to become... Uh, there's an interest in the West. So, you know, New Zealand and Australia. You know, the Scandinavians have been doing this for millennia. But now we're starting to look at these modalities as... Um, 
techniques and tools that will help improve your health span, so your ability to feel great for a longer period of time, mm-hmm. not just longevity. So sauna is great. Sauna, there's been so much research on sauna, actually, for things like depression, for example. Um, <clears throat> but also, um, you know, there's a wonderful study by Yari Laukinen, who did a 20-year observational study of about 2,300 Finnish men. So he basically looked at their sauna habits and then looked at their outcomes for health. And he found that if you sauntered four to seven times a week, your risk of death from any cause went down 40%. Wow. Your risk of cardiovascular death went down 50 to 66%. Wow. Your risk of Alzheimer's went down 60-odd percent. Dementia. So all of these things that if it was a pill, Cooper, man, how much? Where can I get it? How mm. can I take it? But because it's a sauna, we're like, oh, yeah, cool. You know, same with the ice. So cold, um, there hasn't been as much research done on the cold, which is fascinating given the rise to, you know, um, you know, everyone's talking about Wim Hof now. Yeah, but who funds all these studies? The people who can profit off them, but yeah. nobody's profiting off, I mean, sauna maybe, but I don't think the sauna companies are quite at the pharmaceutical companies yet. Yeah. But the, um, yeah, the ice, we can all jump in a cold shower. Well, most of us have the privilege of being able to jump in a cold shower. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So tell me about ice. Yes. The, doing. So what the, are they doing? What's sauna and ice doing that's giving us these longevity benefits? Yeah, so I think sauna. Basically, if you think about it like this, let's come back to our physical health. Yeah. If we want to go into the gym and get some big biceps, we know as a society that we would probably have to put that bicep through some stress mm-hmm. by lifting a weight. Yeah. And there's probably going to be a dose associated with that. Maybe three sets of 12 uh, lifting this amount of weight. We're so in tune with that. But when it comes to, you know, the other side of things, we don't really know. Oh, wow. Actually, by putting ourselves through a degree of stress, through heat stress, that can actually positively benefit us. Same with cold stress. Same with hypoxia. Decreasing the amount of oxygen for a very short amount of time that we've got circulating through our body can lead to... Increased range. You got it. This role of hormesis, eh? So... Um, and it's like in, in Bordeaux in France, there's some rules that those vines have to grow their grapes. You know, the greatest wines in the world have these rules. Like you cannot use water. You cannot use irrigation. The great struggle creates the strong vines, which produce the best grapes in, in the world. So I think the notion that our body can go through a degree of stress to get better, it should be more adapted into that mental state as well, the mm. mental health state. So by doing the heat stress physiologically what happens is you've got these heat shock proteins which come out these so we're made up of proteins in our body when they suffer the effects of stress they fold over and then they coagulate or stick together and that's when plaques can form and we can you know be in some distress some pathological states can occur when you submit yourself to high temperature These heat shock proteins come out and their sole job is to identify these folded proteins and they unfold them. So that's how we get repair and rejuvenation from sauna. So on a a protein level, that's how that works. Um, Also, there's some amazing things that happen just through connection in a sauna. You know, we're building bigger fences between our neighbours now. We're putting up bigger gates. The whole, you know, who would go over to their neighbour and ask for a cup of flour nowadays? Mm. Not many, you know. So I think our social construct is changing in our um, suburban environment. So bringing someone together and saunering with them as a 
ritualistic thing, it creates great conversation. Mm. And those chats happen without a beer in the hand. Yeah. You don't have to have alcohol for those chats. Yeah. Um, so I think there's the benefits there. But yeah, submitting yourself to a degree of stress and, and the heat stress is a good one. The cold stress is the same. There are cold shock proteins, which do a similar thing. Brown fat stuff, yeah. Yeah, brown fat activation as well, which um, you could think about produces more mitochondria in our body, which is like our battery cells. Or you can look at it from a point of view of white blood cell production. So when you do an ice bath, the number of white blood cells that are circulating increase. And they stay there for at least six days, maybe longer. The more white blood cells you've got, to a degree, help insulate you from viruses, bacteria, infection, or inflammation. Amazing. Man, I love talking to you about this stuff. We've still got a little bit of time. So I want to go across to the high-performance sort of athlete people you work with and talk about because something that you touched on at the start when you are explaining one of the kind of three, uh, I guess you'd call, domains that you work in is the idea of helping people respond to situations rather than react to situations, which I'm guessing comes a lot down to mindset and, yeah, just understanding about the way that we respond and react to stuff. Say I come to you as an athlete, I'm finding it really hard. I I get to the quarterfinals every time and I just can't focus. I can't be present. I make mistakes. How would you help me? The key is, I think, Everyone is different. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's talking, why I try to give you a little bit of a situation rather yeah, than just be like, how do I? But yeah. Yeah. Now you've got it. So we'll talk, Cooper. I'll talk with the athlete and or the person involved and just understand a bit about what's going on in their life. Now that also gives me a window into an opportunity that they, that they don't even know I'm looking for. And that's I'm looking at their cadence of speech. I'm looking at their recovery breaths. How do they take that? Where are they breathing? How do they cope with a consent form and reception? And, you know, you, you see someone, they might get, get given a consent form and they might be like, oh, um, yeah, my, oh, I'm a GP. Oh, I've, I've got a GP, but I, d- I don't know who it is. Yeah. So you look at their, how yeah. they are in- interacting right from the outset. And then we talk about what's going on. And that typically starts with, how's your sleep? And most people will say, yeah, good. And they're quite defensive about it, Cooper. And then you articulate that into, you, you qualify it or you quantify it by saying, all right, are you asleep within 15 minutes, yes or no? And often that's a no. Then are you awake between 2 and 3 in the morning? And then you start to just pull on these threads. You, you get more and more information out of them. Because what I need to do is understand what is the priority for improving their performance? So what do I need to work on? What system do I need to work on which is going to give them best bang for their buck for their performance? For some people, um, they may have a disordered breathing pattern. So maybe their diaphragm isn't working. Maybe they're chest breathing, and that's causing them to hyperventilate, which will reduce your cognitive function at those key moments. Maybe it's uh, they lack carbon dioxide tolerance. So their tolerance to carbon dioxide is key because it will dramatically affect how your ability is under pressure. Hmm. So you need to be able to execute your skill set and talents at higher levels of pressure. And one of the derails of that is having a poor tolerance to carbon dioxide. Um, and then I'd look at some other things too. And sometimes people need some ingestibles, some supplementation, which might help. Um or there might be some some other things too. But basically, I think at the crux of it, mate, can you breathe good, yes or no? And if not, we need to sort that. And is the tolerance of carbon dioxide enough 
for you to execute your skill set and talents under high pressure, mm. yes or no. And then there is some um, education around the physiological response of stress, what's happening in our body when that happens. What are the opportunities? What can we train? Yeah, It's amazing. There's No one's the same. And sometimes I see, like this is why you need objective testing as well. Like what tests can we actually do? So I've got clinical experience of 25 plus years. So I can have a sense and a feeling. But then I need to prove it in an objective way. Mm. Um, so there's some pretty cool tests that help us with that. Blood work and stuff. Too. Well, well, even simpler. Um, yeah, but blood work is, say, if you're going to that next level to identify why someone might be in a state, in a pathological state or a disease state, mm. um, then you can look to pull on some things. Often there'll be a pattern in the blood work and then you can isolate what maybe someone should be supplementing. But I do that with assistance. Yeah. Um, but there's way simpler things we can start with. Um, like the low-hanging fruit of shutting your mouth. So like the low-hanging fruit of um, are you a mouth breather? So if you're a mouth breather, especially at night time, you should look at some different modalities like the potential for taping your mouth at night time. Does that make you feel better, yes or no? Mm. You know, some people will freak out at that and say, oh, that's crazy advice to get people to tape their mouth at night. But I think maybe that might... not to. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Not to try. You will not die. Mm. Okay, so I think... Unless you've got a blocked nose. Don't do it. No running nose. Yeah, I think there's some... um, There are some obvious things which might stop that from happening immediately. Like if you do have a cold, maybe not the best time to start taping your mouth. But Mm. wait till all things are equal. Um, You know, if you do have a... You know, if you're in that 5%, if you think that you shouldn't, and then you can prove it with, say, a diagnosis that should preclude you from doing that, yes. But if it's just the sake of, oh, that sounds crazy, then that's not a reason. Mm. Yeah, and if your partner snores or you snore, it's a massive one for that, yeah. Mouth breathing is like the biggest cause of snoring, yeah? Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, so these things, um, oftentimes if they are snoring, there'll be perhaps a disordered breathing pattern as well. Mm. And, yeah, the mouth taping will help, but then also we need to look at what is your mechanical ability to ventilate like? Can that be worked on? Mm. And there's more and more people now, like um, there's physiotherapists that are um, specializing more into breathing. So hopefully people will be able to seek out some experts in their field in the area, which could be useful for them. Yeah, I guess that was kind of my last little run of questioning. I wanted to say, what um, what advice do you have for people to easy to access somewhat resources for some of the stuff we've talked about today or some either books or podcasts or yeah what where would you point someone if they wanted to learn a bit more about some of the stuff we've spoken about today i think your the book you, you mentioned by james nester i was on the international breathing festival with james he's a great guy he's he's um he comes at it from a view of wanting to disseminate the facts mm. so he's not selling a product he's trying to inform people and um, his book is called Breath. Breath yeah. Yes, yeah, so that's a great book. Um, my good friend, Patrick McEwen, he's written a great book, a great number of books. One of them is called The Oxygen Advantage. Uh, the most recent one is called The Breathing Cure. I think that's a good one to have a look at. Um, I think those books are really, really good and really noble. We're seeing a big sort of um, increase in exposure of breath work. I think be careful out there there's a lot of people doing um holotropic or um 
you know, that kind of breathing that sends people into different states or trauma release breathing. I, I just think go careful. There is some other things we can look at that maybe don't go to that extreme. And then also look at who is this, what is this technique serving? Is it serving me or is it serving the ego of the instructor? So mm-hmm. if someone's trying to take you to cloud nine and not telling you why, then I think there are some other ways that we could look at optimizing breathing rather than going into that deep state. Um, and also careful with trauma release because, you know, as we look at the work of Bessel van der Kolk, do we really need to be um, opening up those traumas and picking off those scabs? Yeah, interesting. So due diligence is required as with everything. Mm. Just like medication, what's one of the what's in the top five killers in America? Uh, prescription drugs. Yeah. You know, so I think breathing is great. Um, and like with all modalities, there will be some people, I guess, taking advantage or maybe pushing the limits, mm. uh, which might not be serving the client as well as what it could be. But I think it's just a baseline breath. Like there's all breath work, absolutely amazing. I do Wim Hof each morning. I love it. But even just from doing a session with you this morning, it's completely changed my outlook on breath work. I thought I knew quite a lot about it. I thought I was doing it right. But just the small cue of it's not breathing to your belly. That's kind of vertical breathing, just down and up. It's down, but then out and up with your ribs. And you like had your hands on my sides and it completely has changed my whole outlook on breathing. So I think just continuing to educate yourself and continuing to be curious and open-minded to the fact that you might be doing it wrong sometimes and that's okay. You might learn from someone who you think is an expert and then you can learn from somebody else and yeah, just finding what works for you and what makes you feel good because yeah. And it comes back to, it's not just about the breath work. It's about how you're breathing every day. Like I said before, put an alarm on your phone that goes off every hour for a week. Just check in with yourself. Am I breathing to my nose or my mouth right now? Am I breathing down to my ribs with my ribs going out or am I just breathing into my chest? Like these are just those small ones that, uh, take a bit of work, but can have a massive, massive impact on us. Yeah, too right. It's what we do on the daily that's going to influence the most. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing for the listeners is shut your mouth. Try and breathe through your nose. When you're talking to someone, are we breathing back in through our mouth or our nose? Try and make it the nose. Yeah. Such a powerful thing. But there's been so many great things that we've talked about today that I think are good takeaways for people. It hasn't just been... It was amazing. We learned about your story quite a bit. We learned about your amazing story with meeting Wim and um, falling pregnant when you got told you'll never have kids. I think people will get a lot out of that and maybe hopefully expand some people's minds who thought, maybe I don't have to listen to the diagnosis that I got from this one doctor who I just trust because he's my GP. But you know what? Maybe there is other ways. So I'm sure there's people who have learned from that. But then the few other things, obviously breathing, educate yourself a bit more. Read the book Breath and then come back to us and let us know what you think. Because I read that and I was like, oh, I didn't realize there's all these functions that our nose do. It purifies the air, it heats the air, all this stuff. And it makes sense. But we just don't get educated this stuff. So that's amazing. Um, grounding, another huge one. Trying each day, just get some feet on the ground, bit of your body on the ground. Or the amazing um, grounding products for, um, not your, but the grounding products that you mentioned. I think it's another good one to look up. Um, blue light that's another good thing we talked about go and change a few light globs even if it's just in your bedroom start with that if you're spending time in your bedroom do that change your computer over to night shift your phone over to night shift that's something i'm going to do tonight i do it with my computer but i don't with my phone these are all just little things that can have big impact that we don't realize sauna ice bath this is expanding our range to be able to deal with adversity whether it be the physical adversity of this or the adversity that we deal with through stress every day 
it's much of a muchness our body can yeah learn how to be able to handle more um but yeah man thank you so much for catching up it's been really special to get to chat um i'm so so inspired by your work and our friendship's really cool it's cool to know that you work with people like the wallabies all blacks all these amazing organizations so to get to sit down pick your brain and learn from you has been an absolute pleasure i'm looking forward to hosting an event with you tomorrow and continuing our friendship coming to one of your events um, later in the year hopefully with um my good friend alex and just expanding my knowledge but also our friendship so thank you so much thanks for having me on absolutely i've got one more question that i do finish all of my podcasts with and i'm very excited to hear your answer to this one so what does being a good human mean to nigel beach Mm, i think yeah being a good human you know we come back to some core morals that we should uh sort of maybe think about the so simple simple ones treat others like you'd want to be treated that kind of thing man um but also i think you know when i first met you boys i was saying how um when you walked into the room that aura in sydney i guess you had a choice you were going into a room where most of them were you know adults older than you guys maybe you guys didn't quite fit in on that social scene there you could have walked in with your shoulders down and your head down but you both walked in with your head up smiling shoulders back ready to engage and i think man as soon as i saw that i was like i'm gonna have to talk to these guys so I think that's been the good human because you, you're really opening yourself up to these opportunities as well. So I think, you know, stand tall, you know, lift yourself up, feel great about yourself and what you what you can give to others. Have that confidence and then good things flow. Right. I absolutely love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, sharing your wisdom and sharing your story on Good Humans. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'll um, leave in the show notes a little bit about you. Do you have like a website? Where, where can anyone get in touch if they want to? I know you're pretty... Yeah, highly, highly I've got sought a, after guy. But yeah. I've got to get a website. I've got to get a website. Um, <laughs> You're good uh, enough that you don't even need a website, and people are still coming to call, calling you out. Instagram, maybe like um, just Nigel Beach, B E A C H, just like the ocean, mate. So um, we'll leave that in the show notes. Yeah, and yeah. That's, that's probably the easiest. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, brother. It's been an absolute honor. Yeah, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Cooper. You. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.